Welcome to Deep Dive Coaching for Creatives with me, Coach Cami. In each episode, we'll be covering the basics of deep inner work, the hardest and most important work you can possibly do for yourself. I've been where you are, stuck with self-limiting beliefs and other subconscious roadblocks and no idea how to get past them. I've been through this process myself. I want to help you become your best you. You deserve it. In this episode, the conversation covers a lot of ground, from freelancing to your relationship with money to vulnerability and meditation. Basically, topics to go deep with to future-proof your career. My guest is Valerie Zarek, a career strategist with a podcast of her own called Future Proof Career where she helps her listeners negotiate and deal with career uncertainty. Much needed for the current work climate. Ready to dive deep? Let's jump right in. Tell me your expertise. Tell me yeah. what I need to know as a, a direct listener of your podcast. So this idea was triggered a few years ago. I was in a management role and I work for a large corporation. And as as you know, usual in some of these large corporations, there were some whispers about a potential layoff. And I sort of discovered how much people are reliant on that specific job and how they are just in a panic all the time. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, I feel like we need to like take back control of our futures, of our career, because we like the job that you're in right now is not a guarantee for the rest of your life, even more so today than ever. Um, so I came up with this program called STAMP, and it's where we talk about, like you said, the financial S is for savings. You have to have savings. I think we've seen here with COVID how much people are living paycheck to paycheck and they're struggling. So savings account, transferable skills, continue to do good work that a is amaze your employer. Oh. I found that when these layoff rumors were happening, people like they didn't really continue doing their job. <laughs> you know, they were sort of in a panic. They were gossiping. And um, so continue to actually do your work, do a good job. And, um, you know, even if you don't like what you're doing or if you might you might lose your job, that's a reality. But you're going to have these skills from doing the best you can at that time. And then mindset, the mindset work is so important and I'll say with all these layoff rumors, I think I've only seen like a couple actual layoffs, <laughs> you know, it's like this constant like fear that people are living in that often doesn't even end up being something. So it's that mindset of I'm safe, I'm secure, I have skills, just that confidence and a lot of money mindset as well. Um, and then have a plan B, like maybe something will happen. So what are you going to do? Like, you know, position yourself in a strategic place where you're not going to be, you know, without a job for potentially months at a time. That's so, so that is a long story, Cami. <laughs> but I felt very passionately about this when I was getting phone calls late at night. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my job? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't make the decisions. Um, so yeah, and I love that, that, um, the, the stamp, the save, okay, S is for savings. I want to make sure I get this. T is transferable yes. skills. A is amaze yes. your employer. Specifically, yes, continue amazing employers. Um, M is uh, mind your mindset. And B, uh, P is to have a plan B, right? To have a plan, some contingency. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, and I was thinking for the T, too, like specifically the soft skills, I 
think there's definitely not enough em emphasis in that in, in our day-to-day -day lives. So really focus on communication skills, relationship building, because those are actually the things that are going to make the difference. Nice. And I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. And the this is something that I'm working on myself too, because I catch myself doing it, like having that scarcity mindset and fear. Yeah, aren't aren't we all on the still on our journeys still? Aren't we all in the in the process of? Because we're never really finished until we're dead, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I wouldn't have done this show if it wasn't an issue for me as well. So I'm working through some of these things and I've improved a lot since, you know, since starting this project. So I'm eager to help other people too. Nice. I'm, I'm curious specifically about the, the soft skills, the transferable soft skills. Those are to me, the, they're absolutely the most important and they're the hardest to sell on your resume or to include in a cover letter mm -hmm. without sounding really awkward. How do you go about telling your employer, either your present employer or your future employer, that you have those soft skills? Right. That is a hard thing, especially I, I heard some stat, like an insane amount of people are applying for one position now, like 500 on average or something like that. So how do you stand out? How do you show that you're a holistic person and not just these like certain tasks that you've accomplished. I think it's very challenging. I think in that interview process, if you can make it to the interview, then that can help ask thoughtful questions. That's one of the things too, is like, don't be afraid to speak up and ask questions. It shows you're interested, mm -hmm. do research, you know, be engaged and try to show up some of those skills there. Mm, okay. And do you think, is there a way to show those ahead of time? Or do you think the interview is the place for those? I'm not really like an expert when it comes to the resume and cover letter process. I mean, I'm sure you could beef up your cover letter, but I know, unfortunately, like the ATS, the applicant yeah. tracking system, I don't think they often look for a lot of those words. Yeah. So there's probably some tips and tricks to do that um, that I'm not really aware of. Maybe like if they ask for references, you could do that. Maybe add it to your LinkedIn account. I know some people do that as well. I think there's kind of an impression that those are fluffy things. Relational skills, the, the ability to work in a, a variety of environments with a variety of people and not be, oh, that that woman, oh, she's so difficult, or that guy who's, oh. Yeah. Uh, so it's, and I, it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to get sucked into that, though, isn't it? Yeah. As a designer, I was always... Part of, I feel like part of my role was to educate my superiors, my, you know, my managers and their directors and whatnot on the value of design so that it could be included earlier in the process. And it's not just here, make it pretty. I don't know how many times I've heard just make it pretty yeah. or just make it pop when the value of design is in strategy and these things, because I've been doing this so long, it's like the, these things I've done within the design will make it possible for this project to do what you need it to do. And it's not based on what I think looks nice. And because I would hold my ground, because I'm not afraid of confrontation, I would say, no, we need, this needs to stay that way. Sometimes I got labeled as, oh, that woman, oh, she's just a diva. It's like, yeah. mm. it's really hard to hold your ground for a project or hold your ground for 
um, like, you know, the research is there or, you know, that the there's facts backing it up. And sometimes as a creative, it's hard to articulate those things even. But to um, to walk that line of holding your ground, but not coming off as that jerk <laughs> in the office. Yes. Or, you know, the B word, the dreaded B word. Yeah. That so many of us women can get called in the workplace. Oh, yes. How many times? How many times? I'm an Enneagram eight. And at our worst, we're known as eight holes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty familiar with that, um, with that perspective. But but, you know, with with the age, definitely, and the experience comes the the ability to say uh, and be able to refer people, remember the brief, this is what we wanted, this is what's going to do that and take myself out of the equation. But that's, again, that's really hard to do when you're first starting out. Anyway, it is. And sometimes I, I think in in work too, like the older you get, the more grumpy you can get if you're <laughs> unhappy. So age can help you in some ways, but then other ways, it kind of adds to the stuckness. Like you could be stuck for a couple years when you're young and you're okay. But then by the time you're, like you said, later forties and you've been in this toxic position for 15 years and you just don't know how to get out of it. And I have seen a little bit of that as well. Yeah. And then fear comes into play. People think, oh, I can't leave this because, you know, where else can I make this money or have these benefits? Or I would have to start over on a different corporate ladder. Um, And they've let fear rule that decision-making instead of, you know, what's possible? What can I envision and what can I manifest? What can I actually create and design for myself? And the fear of ageism, too. Like, I noticed that starting so young at 40, and I'll be there soon. And I'm like, wow, that happened so early. It's like one second you're the precocious kid at work and then all of a sudden then you're the old person what the heck yeah is there no middle ground yeah exactly well, the in, short window I guess in my 50s um learning that again writing that line between I know what I'm doing but I don't want to be I don't want to come across as a jerk mm-hmm. um yeah I don't I still don't know that I've mastered that I know that I'm better at it <laughs> but yeah. Mastery? I don't know. Is that possible? Depends on the people you work with, I guess. Maybe that's why I'm self-employed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good um, segue, too, is like future-proofing career. How many more people are becoming freelancers in the future? So we focused on that in the show as well. And kind of the pros and cons of being your own boss is not always sunshine and rainbows and glamorous because you may leave your corporate job. And you're like, wow, I got rid of my boss, but now you have clients and you work for them now. Yeah, yeah. And I would, you know, that there's a statistic that by 2030, 50% of the workforce is going to be freelance. And I think the pandemic yeah. just stomped on the accelerator for that. That was that was a statistic before the pandemic started. So I'm picturing like 2025, it's going to be at least 50%. And right. what I would caution people, because I've, I've done workshops and I have um, a training program on my website for teaching you how to freelance. And it's not just, you know, if I'm a writer and I can just find, write, find writing clients and then I can do my craft and get paid for it. If you're a freelancer, you need to understand all the other pieces. And if you only enjoy your craft, you're probably not going to enjoy freelancing. Make sure you like wearing many hats. 
if you only like doing your craft and you can't, you know, you can't see yourself being an accountant and doing cold calls or following up on for payment or being the project manager or all of those minutiae of details, then you're probably not going to like freelancing. But if you always like changing gears and doing lots of things and keeping things fresh, you're going to love freelancing. Um, And then also, if you really don't mind the peaks and valleys of, I have too much work, holy crap, what am I going to do? The contrast between that and, oh, my next project doesn't come in for another three weeks. And I don't have any money coming in for the next three weeks. Okay, now what? And knowing that those peaks and valleys come in the cycle and being prepared for them mentally as well as financially. It's not just uh, a mental game. It's a financial game as well. That's going to be a huge shift for people going from a regular nine to five to that type of mindset. Yeah. And I think it'll be exciting for a lot of people. I think that is like a lot of people's dreams to be a freelancer. But yeah, you're right. Um, I have never been a freelancer, but I'm sure it's very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I freelanced on, well, off and on for all of my career. I've never met a graphic designer who wasn't also a freelancer, at least yeah. part of the time. But um, there, there is a comfort in being able to leave work at work. And there's a comfort knowing mm-hmm. that someone else is going to take care of the, of the payroll and the insurance and, you know, all of that stuff. And being able mentally to just turn it off. And when you're home, you're home. And when you're a freelancer, sometimes it's really hard to shut it off. You have a big project and you feel really guilty for leaving your office at five o'clock. So when you coach freelancers, because you do coaching as well, right? Yep. How do you help them understand like what's realistic? Because I'm sure a lot of people are like, I really want to go from corporate to working for myself. And I know I've talked to um, people too, and they have a financial goal, but they're not considering all the other things. And you don't want to squash their dreams, you know, but how do you help them through that transition? There is a free freelancer checklist that people can download from my website. And it's, Hmm. and it's, I don't know, like six or seven pages long. And it's a 30,000 foot view of what, what you need to be aware of for freelancing. There's cost of business, there's identifying your ideal client, there's your tendencies when you work, there's the first thing on there is a, you know, what are your tendencies? And you can score anywhere from zero to 100 on this score. And if you score really high, that means you're going to love freelancing. If you score, you know, under 50, you might think twice, because you're not going to be fulfilled. Um, But there's lots of that, that free checklist is lots of different things to look at and keep in mind before you even start to consider freelancing. Mm-hmm. And then the course that I offered is, uh, that I offer on the, on the website is very detailed. We go in deep. It's 12 modules. You can do them at your own pace. That's all pre-recorded. And, um, and then they also get a free session with me either, you know, to use at the beginning or at the end or to ask questions or whatever. And they can really go deep and understand, um, what they actually need to do. And they can actually start freelancing in the middle of taking this course. I've had several freelancers start. I've had a, um, a graphic designer, a copywriter, a marketing, um, a marketing expert who, who understood her craft, but didn't understand how to freelance and how to, you know, build her client base and yeah, those kind of things. There's a, 
gosh, there's an ener- there's a non energy audit, a uh, zone of genius audit to figure out what kinds of things you might want to hire for later on. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things in that checklist. I actually cool. would love to see more freelancers succeed because it does offer some freedom. You don't have commute time. You get to choose yeah. your clients. You can fire clients, which let me tell you is just delightful. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds kind of stressful to me, but you know, I like that that's an option. Yeah. When you're working with someone and your gut feeling is saying this is not working and you just dread every interaction you have with that client. You can go to them and say, you know what, this isn't working out, but I do have someone who is who is available right now, and and I'll let you inter, you know, I'll I'll make the introduction and let you decide if you want to progress with yeah. the work with that person. I never just say you're fired and walk away. I always provide mm-hmm. them with some kind of some kind of uh, resource so that they're taken care of, so that they don't think badly of me. But I, it may not, it just might not be a good fit. Yeah, nice. Emotional intelligence, Cammy. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. The uh the whole the whole of freelancing is not easy. It's not for everyone. Um but it can be really really rewarding if you go in with, you know, your eyes wide open, you know what to expect. You know the amount of work it's going to take. You know what you need to charge so you can make a profit so you don't have to work yeah. 60 or 80 hour weeks. You can work 20 or 30 hour weeks. Yeah. I do sometimes like worry about society in general, though, moving so much to freelancing, just, you know, without benefits and just the fact that not everyone is able to be a freelancer. It's just like their minds may not work like that. I I do kind of worry about that transition. Yeah. I think if, if we, if we level out at half, which is what I suspect will happen, that that there's going to be offices and there will be some people in the office. There will be some people who work remotely and there will be some contract labor that there will be bumps and hiccups until we figure out, okay, this is the rhythm that works for us now as a, as a workforce or even as a, as an industry Um, because they're all different. Like some industries are just made for remote work and freelance work, you know, uh, uh, contract labor and some, you just need to have people in the office. So I, this is yeah. good that the pandemic brought about this, this experimental time. I think businesses and whatnot are much more amenable to the idea of remote work and the idea of contract labor or freelancers. And they've, they've been forced to experiment, and I think they've been happily surprised with the results. Yeah. I listened to a podcast today where um, the guest was saying, like, maybe businesses kind of overcorrected for COVID, like let too many people go. And so now they're kind of rehiring. So I, I bet this is where we'll see a lot of that freelancing movement. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about the, the plans for you for your um, future proofing your career. What are you doing with this idea and how can I be of service to you with that? Oh, that's so nice of you. Um, so I am actually in the middle of brainstorming what do I want the future to look like, and I really want to focus, I know this is actually kind of your area of expertise too, is that getting unstuck. I think that's really a critical piece, so um, I'm going to open up to more like mindset things, you know, meditations, that kind of thing, things that can 
actively help my listeners. And I really want to focus on pay inequality too. You know, it's hard oh, nice. to future proof yourself if you're not starting in the same place. Yes, that's a that's a great point. So getting back to your getting unstuck and a mindset shift. That's that's kind of my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Because the the people who generally want a better job or they want to make more money or they want, if they're freelancing, they want better clients. All of those things, those external things that they want changed are usually, and I would say about 90 to 95% of the time, are a direct reflection of what's going on inside here, in inside themselves. Yeah. And unless you can clean house on the inside, then these symptoms, these outside things which are symptoms, are going to come back. So if you don't have the confidence to ask for the salary that your skill set deserves, you're never going to be able to make the amount of money that that you deserve because you don't believe you deserve it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that was my aha moment too. And a lot of people, I think you need to go back. Like you said, you're talking about your mom to our childhoods. Like what did we perceive money as um, and what kind of jobs did our parents have and what... uh, what values have been passed along to us? Some probably good values and maybe there's some really toxic <laughs> values that have, you've been carrying with you for a long time. Yeah. If, and and if your parents, if growing up, your parents commented like, oh, look at that guy. Oh, he's so rich. Oh, that's gross. Oh, he's a bad person. Then you might grow up believing that rich people, because they have money, are bad. Mm-hmm. And that if you have money, then you have become a bad person, and that's much more common than you think. And it's and it's an un, uh, it's a subconscious belief. It's not something that that you think um, consciously. Oh, I don't want to make a whole lot of money because then I'll be bad. It's it's you still view rich people as bad. You still yeah. view people with more money of you like oh, well they're just blah blah blah. When that's not usually mm-hmm. the case. Um, so it, it requires a lot of introspection to understand your relationship to money. Um, my mentor, Peleg Top, he's brilliant. He says, if you, if you ever have doubts about the amount of energy that you bring to the idea of money, you're having a conversation with someone about money. Like, I want, I want to earn a lot of money so that I can da 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 Mm-hmm. take out the word money and put in a, a word that doesn't have that same energy associated with it. Like put in a book. Like I want to make, I want to earn lots of books or shovel. Shovel's great. I yeah. want to earn mm-hmm. lots of shovels and I want to have lots of shovels because they make me feel safe. It just sounds ridiculous. So right. if you can unplug the emotion and, and look at it um, objectively, you, you can better identify your own relationship to money and how you actually feel about it. And then sometimes you can start to recognize where those beliefs came from. Like, you know, my mom growing up, the, the rich people were her bosses who were jerks. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot of work for me to realize, oh, money does not equal being a jerk. Right. And yes, I do deserve to earn lots of money because I have a, I have a really neat, useful, powerful skill or skill set. Uh, and, and understanding that, you know, you unplug that, that self-limiting belief that no longer serves you, you consciously put on repeat a different thought that then becomes a belief 
And that thought can be, I deserve to earn money. I deserve to have a comfortable life. And those thoughts on repeat become beliefs because our brain believes what's on repeat. And you can then start being the the facilitator, the creator, the designer of your life. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's opinion on what a lot of money is, is different. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up and um, my parents thought like our teachers were so rich, like, wow, they make a ton of money as a teacher, <laughs> you know? And I think it's like all relative to where you live, what your background is. Yep. Very much so. Very much so. The, um, going back to the being stuck part and the mindset part, um, a great place to start is anything by Brene Brown, listening to any of her podcasts. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, so many, so many of us carry around shame that we haven't quite identified as shame. And so many of us are, especially us eight holes, are loath <laughs> to be vulnerable um, and to show our vulnerability when that is what creates that human connection and that can help us totally get unstuck. Do you have a like a specific example of how showing a vulnerability? Because I always listen to the, you know, I've, I've listened to a few Brene Brown podcasts and like I guess I just want like more specifics like yeah. how can that work uh yeah I'll give you some examples when I was um before I, w- I went through the 100 days coaching with my with my coach Peleg Top um I firmly believed that I had everything I needed and everything was good and um vulnerability was not something I ever practiced um as a, I had a really rotten childhood and um that kind of created my eightness mm-hmm. <laughs> um because being vulnerable means somebody can hurt you but if you're if you are if you are invulnerable if you show no weakness or if you hurt someone first they can't hurt you if you say ah oh, you yeah. can't hurt me yeah da, da. yeah and i and i recognized that that prevented any kind of authentic connection to another human being but if i say you know, if I if I'm just chatting with another per- person and I'm not healed and I still am feeling like I need to b- hide behind this wall, I'm saying I'm saying, well, you know, no, everything's fine, everything's good, things are great, you know. Oh yeah, there's been some things going on, but yeah, we're fine, we're fine. You don't feel mm-hmm. real connected to me. But if I say, you know, I've been struggling with this idea that maybe I'm not good enough to freelance and that I'm not finding the right clients because. Maybe, maybe I'm not a, the, the designer or the, the coach or whatever that I thought I was. And the other person's like, oh, you know, I felt that way too. And you've as- immediately established a connection. You found the common ground with another person. And that being vulnerable yeah. is the only path to make that happen. You can't say to somebody, you know what, Valerie, I really just want to become great friends with you. I just want to, let's just be great friends. It, you can't force it. You can't make mm-hmm. it. But if I say, you know what, I've, I've, I think I understand where you're coming from because these are some of my weak points. It's like, you know, you're a big, scary dragon, but you, you hold up that scale where your weak point is and you say, that's where that arrow can go and that's how you could really hurt me. And, yeah. and giving someone that level of trust, um, that, that level of vulnerability just grows trust. You know, you say, here's my weak point. You can hurt me this way. And and if somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't kick a puppy 
you don't kick a baby that's screaming. You don't, you don't stab somebody when they're saying, this is how you hurt me. It establishes a connection and you feel like, okay, this person's been vulnerable with me. I feel like I can, I'm safe now and I can be vulnerable with them. Yeah. I'm trying to think about how that would translate. I think maybe there's more roles where you can be more vulnerable than others. Do you think like maybe it's easier for like creatives versus like, let's say, I don't know, you're like a litigation attorney. (laughs) That might be a little harder if you're in some positions. I would say a litigation attorney would feel safe being vulnerable around other litigation attorneys. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. We could say, you know what, this case has just got me dragged down. I feel like I'm involved now emotionally and I don't want to be, but I really care about the outcome and it's really, I'm exhausted. And someone's like, no, I understand. I've been there. Here's something I did that might help you. And I mean, there's all kinds of connection opportunities there when you find your people. And and we as a species require that. Our brains are hardwired for relationships and connections. And the when we're lacking, our our first impulse is to withdraw. And that is the absolute worst thing that we can do. And unfortunately, the pandemic brought that on uh, mm-hmm. in spades. But to reach out to other people and say, hey, I'm feeling this way. And one of the gifts of the pandemic is that people can now feel a little bit easier talking about their mental health yeah, and saying, you know what, I'm, I think I'm feeling a little anxiety or I'm feeling a little, you know, whatever. Yeah. I would worry maybe as a woman speaking to like a man that they'd be like, oh, you're just like this really emotional woman, <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's, there, there has to be some level of trust there. Um, yes. I've worked, I've worked for places that are, um, I did not trust my male supervisor and I tried to be as emotionless as possible, but still relay the same information. Um, you can, you can mm-hmm. like start to have that kind of connection. Uh, I would say things like my, my workload right now is a little heavy and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Is there any way you can help me? by doing X, Y, and Z projects for me. Yeah. And that, that is emotionless, but it's, um, it conveys the same information. It says, Hey, I need help establishes vulnerability without, without being emotional. Yeah. I was explaining this to two other people today and it's funny how things come in clumps. Subjects come in clumps. I don't know if it does for you, but it definitely Mm -hmm. does for me. Um, there is a healing power to art, and I, I, I know that there are studies out there. I haven't found them, so I won't quote them or cite them, but there's so much just emotional healing that can happen at a subconscious level when you create art. And when I say art, I mean the, the act of creating it, not the end result, I feel like maybe this is something you would have some insight in. I've just been thinking, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I've noticed a lot of people have made like huge life changes and people can be very judgmental about it. (laughs) Do you think that there's sort of this impression or what is the difference between like making a huge life change and having like a quote unquote breakdown, (laughs) you know? Because some people are like, wow, they're having a major breakdown. It's like, well, maybe they're happy. Like maybe they needed that life change. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's, I would say it's impossible to tell unless you're that person. Mm-hmm. Um, right. What's going on inside. Yeah. To have made that change to have gone from that Enneagram three who needs to make everybody happy to like not caring if you make anyone happy. And that might be very jarring to people who knew you before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, again, I see the behavior and I think, okay, how can I support you? Yeah. How can I, I, I try to find the, the nugget of, of whatever it is they're looking for, whether that's acknowledgement for their accomplishments, whether that's, um, the, the praise they're looking for, whether that's um, permission to take care of themselves first, whatever it is, I try to, you know, noodle in there and find out what it is they actually need. Give them that just free, no strings, no like, you know, I find you amazing at blah, 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 and, and move on. Um, and hopefully that subconscious, again, most of this happens at a subconscious level, subconsciously they feel a little bit more at ease and maybe they can, maybe there'll be some kind of growth that that we can, Mm -hmm. that we can um, work on together from that point. But our, our brains are so wired. They're wired for connection. They're wired for, uh, to resist change of any kind, because like once a neural connection is made, it's, it's, it's super streamlined, like a super highway. And mm-hmm. it becomes physically stiff. So when you have a new thought or want a new behavior, your brain physically resists it and says, no, nah, this one's more comfortable. So f- to create a new, a new habit or a new thought or a new belief, it's physically hard for your brain to do. And when you feel that resistance, you can say, oh, that's my brain. And then you can realize, oh, I'm not my brain. I'm the observer of my brain. I'm the observer of my thoughts, the thinker of the thoughts, but I'm not my thoughts. So if this thought that is on repeat, that is old and is not serving me anymore, okay, what's a different, a different thought, a different way? If I don't want to be the perfectionist anymore, I can now recognize it because I'm conscious of it. I'm noticing it. I can unplug that and think, okay, what's another thought to put on repeat that's a better thought? I am enough as I am right now. That's a good thought to have on repeat. So I'm a perfect, yeah. nope, I'm enough as I am right mm-hmm. now. I'm a, per- nope, I'm enough as I am right now. Yeah. And the more you put that thought on the repeat, your brain goes, oh, okay, okay, this is the new thought on repeat. And your brain is like, okay, this is a new thought, whatever. It's Your brain doesn't judge. Your brain just wants to do what's easiest to conserve calories. Right. Sometimes I worry about some of those like personality tests too. Like I'm an Enneagram. Oh, I am an Enneagram seven. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I love to hop and hop, hop to project to project. And I'm just like that. Like, that's just me. And it kind of gives you this, I don't know, identity, maybe like I just am mm-hmm. this way versus mm-hmm. probably it's not intended, I'm sure to be like Mm-mm. that. But yeah. And it, it also depends on, um, if you're using it as an excuse mm-hmm. or if you are using it as a tool, like, okay, these are my, these are my probable defaults. How much do I want to keep that behavior? How much do I want something else? And being conscious about creating your own self. There's a great book called Personality Isn't Permanent oh. by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And 
it's really good in in addressing that exact issue for people saying, "Oh, that's just the way I am." Yeah. But if you if that way of how you are isn't what you want, isn't letting you reach your goals, isn't serving you, then you can actually become quote unquote someone else. But it's a very slow and very gradual process because, again, your brain resists change. It's wired to resist change. Yeah. And I think that there's a fear, too, if you do change, what are other people going to think? Yeah. So it's like it's keeping you stuck in two different ways of holding yourself back because you're like, oh, this this is my personality. But then also, like, if I change, my husband might not like it, you know, or somebody else may be turned off by the way I changed. Yeah. And that's where you need to ask yourself, whose opinion do I value more, Mm -hmm. my own or someone else's? Yeah. And some people are very uncomfortable with that answer that they do value other people's opinion over their own. They don't value their own self. Yeah, probably more than you'd think. Probably even me at some times too, I'm sure. Everyone. Everyone at some point puts other people's opinions of themselves first. Um. And they, and they also put their, their own worth and their value in other people's hands. Well, my husband doesn't like it when I do that. Or my wife doesn't like it when I do that. It's like, um, you know, or, or people who say, I don't want to get my hair cut like that because my spouse wouldn't like it. It's like, um, yeah, hang on. If your worth only lies in your ability to be decorative, you really need mm-hmm. to start questioning your own value of yourself. How do you value yourself? How do you how do you self-care? How do you self-talk? And you have yeah. to you have to self-love. You have to be able to love yourself and take care of yourself first because no one, I guarantee you, no one is going to put you first. You have to put yeah. yourself first. You have to like take care of number one first. Put your own mask on for your put somebody else's on that, that, that whole thing. Um, and that's not the narcissistic, right. like, we've oh. all heard it before, but we actually have to be intentional about it. Yeah. And it's not narcissistic or self-centered. It's, I have a much greater capacity to take care of, say my loved ones, my kids, my, my mom, my spouse. When I, when my core is full, when I have taken care of the big five, my spiritual needs, my physical needs, my mental needs, my emotional needs, and my creative needs, which most people forget about the creativity, the expression one. But once you have those five, then your core is full and you feel like, oh, I feel really good. And then you can take care of your parents and your kids and your spouse. And then out the next circle outside of that is your paying work. And you have a greater capacity to take care of your paying work. And then the next circle outside of that is your volunteer work, your community, and how you support them. But if they're in different, if that's in a different order, it's not sustainable. Something's going to break down. If you, if you've, you know, taking care of your parents and you don't take care of yourself, mm-hmm. at some point you're going to get sick. Or yeah. if you work yourself to death, you know, the, it, something's got to give. But your your own core has to come first. And I think we see that a lot with caregivers that they end up passing before the person they're taking care of, like unexpectedly or, um, you know, with the disease that they've gotten probably due to the stress. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the the stuff that you were talking about earlier, the self-care, the meditation and whatnot, there's an amazing um, thing that happens when you are, when you're in meditation state. So I'm I'm total science nerd. And when we're busy and um, multitasking and all that, we're in beta, busy beta. And um, our brainwaves are really out of sync. And then when we get into flow, and there's multiple states of, of alpha waves, which is where flow happens, um, time doesn't behave normally. It either speeds up or slows down, um, and you're really focused on this thing and that you're working on or that you're thinking about or that you're doing. And you look up and you think, oh, my gosh, seven hours just passed. That felt like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. Like, you know, that felt like seven hours, but it's only 15 minutes. Um, flow is, is that's your alpha brain waves. And then the next one below that is theta and theta allows your brain to produce neuropeptides. It releases neuropeptides into your body that heal the telomeres on the end of your DNA strands. And they're like little shoestring things that hang down. Mm-hmm. And when you're that are aging too, right? That has to do with aging. And when your cells reproduce those telomeres, contain the the errors or the they they break down and they get shorter physically shorter every time they reproduce so that that's what's responsible for aging but these neuropeptides that are released during theta go and heal all those telomeres so that meditation actually slows aging oh that's amazing I mean, I can science. use that. I want to slow down aging. Right? <laughs> so theta happens as you fall asleep, as you wake up, sometimes when you're dreaming, and, and when you reach a deep state of meditation. And everyone has experienced theta waves. It's not like some mystical, you know, mountaintop yeah. experience. Right. That would be like five less minutes on Instagram for me that I could dedicate and invest in that. Mm-hmm. And and the people think of meditation as, you know, you have to sit just a certain way and you have to hold your hands and you have to say a certain thing. And for me, I'm, my brain is too busy for that. So I have learned that my brain can focus on two things simultaneously, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm actively engaging my hearing and I'm listening to the sound of my breath, that's one thing I'm focused on. And the second thing I can focus on is very simply is either a mantra or counting. So like mm-hmm. I inhale and I imagine a circle. I inhale for one and then at the top of the circle, I exhale on two. And at the bottom of the circle, I inhale on three and I exhale on four. And I just imagine a circle and that's all I'm doing. And when my brain goes wandering off, I'm like, oh, I need to start over again. Okay, inhale on mm-hmm. one, exhale on two. And I'm counting. And if I make it all the way to 10, then I go backwards. So just counting and breathing and the, the, the muscle, quote unquote muscle, that you're engaging when you meditate is pulling your thoughts back to the thing you want to focus on. Because they wander, your brain wanders, it gets like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. not used to focusing on that, I'm going to go with this familiar territory. Again, your brain resists change. And as you go over here and, and you, you know, wander off, no, we're coming back, we're thinking on this. And there's no judgment. It's like if a cloud passes, you know, over your house and you're laying in the grass watching a cloud, you don't say, oh, damn that cloud. Yeah. You say, oh, there goes a cloud. We're focusing again on just breathing mm-hmm. or just counting. Or sometimes yeah. 
My mantra is I am on the inhale and on the exhale, it's fully present or here now or just fine or whatever. Yeah, I love that. I think just the being present is it's a win in today's society with technology. Yep. And it expands our nine second goldfish brain into something a little bit longer. <laughs> and you get the benefits not only for the rest of the day, but for months. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, I definitely think I need to be focusing more on that, like actual things that my listeners can do. Yeah, easy. I mean, and a good place to start. I mean, um, Deepak Chopra has every now and then he puts out a free 21 day meditation And right now there's one with uh, Alicia Keys and Deepak Chopra. And the one before that was with Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra. Um, And I always sign up for those because I just go in and, you know, have a listen. They're Mm -hmm. probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I I do have the app Insight Timer. Oh, there you go. That's a free one. And Um, Headspace and Calm. All of those are really good. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But just sitting actively, like, this is my time to meditate and doing it in the morning. That is such a gift that you can give yourself. It it helps your mindset. It helps your physical body and your brain. It helps emotionally. I mean, that's probably the biggest gift you can give yourself. Yeah, yeah. And just... The gift of taking five minutes for yourself. A lot of us, especially women, don't do that. So, yeah, we think, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, this has been fun, just like yeah. I knew it would be. <laughs> yes, this was good. I know the time flew. We were in our flow state. Yeah, definitely. For more good juju, visit cami.coach. C A M I.coach. <laughs>